From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 27th episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. And I am the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And today, and as I say every single time, we have another outstanding, amazing guest. I am so happy to have Stacy Rasky. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we're just going to get right into the questions. Uh, so Stacy is my first of what I hope will be many people who are in the executive and coaching space, uh, the leadership space for uh, people, um, basically high performers. So I think what she's doing is amazing. We're going to be talking about her book. We're also going to be talking about her upcoming Influential Impact Leadership event and so much more. So a little bit about Stacy. She is a best-selling author, speaker, podcast host, Iraqi war veteran, badass biker chick, boundaries expert, leadership mentor, authenticity, authenticity alchemist, success consultant, influence activator, and legacy builder. She's also the founder of Influential Leadership Mastermind. Her mission in life is to achieve the highest power and potential in others by shattering the invisible ceiling so that they can embody their truth and purpose while enjoying the ride. She loves to help alpha leaders shift from intimidating to influential. She has written for numerous magazines, including Authority Magazine, Business Insider. Using the toolkit she's learned from recovering from trauma and addiction, she's mentored and inspired thousands with her vulnerability, authenticity, intuition, and storytelling. Stacy believes that everything we need to be successful is already within us, and we must give ourselves permission to embody all we desire. She lives uh, outside uh, Tampa, Florida with her husband, Jeffrey, two fabulous motorcycles, and three cats. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I just realized I need to update my bio. We just had to put one of our cats down in December. I'm like, oh, I'm oh. down to two cats. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes, no, 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 yes. You're fine. I was like, oh, I need to update that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's always a, a sad thing to have to do. So sorry about that. But welcome. I'm so glad that uh, you took some time to be with us today and to talk about your amazing work. So the first thing I always do when I have a guest on who has served in the military is I like to hear a little bit about where they're from and why they decided to choose uh, to join the military. Okay. <clears throat> to the beginning of the story. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. All right. So, um, you know, it's funny because I didn't join right out of high school. I actually had a few years off. I, I did college right after high school because it was expected. Mm -hmm. And then it just wasn't the right fit. And then I took a few years off and I really needed a radical change. It's, it, it's funny kind of in that esoteric metaphysical sense, you know, I think there was a deep knowing that I had even when I was young, that mm -hmm. the military was somewhere in my pathway. Um, and at the same time, I am one of those high performing people when I am committed to doing a big change and something radical, um, I do it. But it's interesting because hindsight, I, I recognize on my journey towards building boundaries that that first step was finding some way to create that structure and that safety and stability that I never had growing up. And so what is something that really not only metaphorically represents mm -hmm. that, but legitimately represents that. I mean, that's the military. Absolutely. And I think that maybe, you know, you bring up a really good point. Maybe that's a lie. A lot of us end up joining the military who may not have grown up with sometimes the best boundaries is that we're drawn to something that seems almost like, okay, there's, there's a, there's a prescription in the military. So you follow these steps and you do these things and you will have this result and, and that becomes somewhat predictable. And sometimes if you've grown up in an unpredictable environment, um, you're, you're just drawn to that, that sense of stability and that sense of safety. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what did you, you do? You joined the army, correct? Yes. 
Mm -hmm. and in the Army, I did um, chemical and biological warfare detection. So I was in the Army's only active duty um, biowarfare detection units. Uh, wow. So, yeah. And were you enlisted or officer? I was enlisted. Okay. I, I ended up, um, when I got out, I was a non-commissioned officer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you so you get out of the military and then what's next? I don't think you went right into being an entrepreneur. Is that correct? No. Well, it's it's funny because it's it's kind of always who I was. I think back and really in my first you know, side hustle as a kid was hosting kids parties. I was nine mm -hmm. years old and did it for my sister uh -huh. for, or 11 years old. And I did it for my sister for her sixth birthday, doing the face painting and running all the, the, the games for all the little kids <laughs> and all that stuff. And literally all the other parents at the, the school were like, this is great. I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always entrepreneurial, you know, to some degree. Mm -hmm. So I think it was inevitable. Um, but no, I, I got out. I, I got hurt in Iraq. So I was medically discharged. They paid for me, had voc rehab to go back to school, got my degree. I was recruited right out of college um, to be a pharmaceutical chemist uh, at a pharmaceutical uh, company. And over the next 10 years was just kind of this like downward, progressive downward spiral in mm -hmm. really rejecting me. And it was a habit I'd build. I'd always worn the mask of who I should be the, my whole life. I was always that kind of high achiever seeking external validation in every which way to Sunday. And so it was just chronically rejecting myself. So over the course of a lifetime, you know, I learned to numb out and avoid. And during that 10 years, especially after um, my time in the military and, and building this life of shoulds, you know, the American dream that became my prison. I, I packed on all this weight. I was well, I basically, I weighed twice what I weigh now. Um, and because I numbed out with food so much, it was food mm -hmm. and drugs and alcohol and, and social media and television and sure. work. That's just, a yeah. totally socially acceptable version. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and basically came to this rock bottom moment, which was interesting because I had lost my corporate career. I mean, I was in there doing the corporate career thing and then my health got so bad that I'd even lost that. And so ultimately on the other side of this rock bottom moment as I start learning to build a relationship with myself, that was a big piece of the truth of who I am is like, no, 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 you're called to do big, amazing things in the world. It's time to listen to it. So, <laughs> let's go. Right, right. Who? No, what, what did you... Cause, cause my, you know, my journey is, is so, such a, so many fits and starts and lots of therapy and lots of self-help books. What, what did, and it wasn't, it was, and it's definitely years in the making and I'm probably still like we all are a work in progress, but what was it when you were in that rock bottom moment, what were some of the resources that you turned to, to start building that relationship with yourself? Uh, thankfully, even though it was still kind of a downward decline, I'm so grateful that I was in trauma therapy. You know, so I did have my trauma therapist helping facilitate this process. But honestly, I think it's just some of that natural alpha energy. Like some of us, like that's just how we are. You know, we're right. always sort of that black sheep, that rebel, that misfit, these high empathy, mm -hmm. you know, and high sensitivity people that are also have this high sensation seeking that drive. Right. And so we never seem to really fit in in a lot of other places. And so, you know, we just yeah. have to make a decision. And guess what? We're all in. Right. So I literally was like, nope, I'm done trying to control anything other than myself. Yeah. Because I realized that that was that biggest symptom of this deep desire for safety, for mm -hmm. belonging, for connection, for trust, all the stuff that I didn't have the emotional availability to experience because I had so many big walls around me, right. especially with myself. So yeah, that was really the big thing was just kind of like, all right, guess what? I'm done. Here we go. <laughs> right. And you're just going to work on yourself and fix yourself because you know that you can't start to work with anyone else or, or really move forward in your life until you've figured out what, what it is that you're about and what your purpose is. And so you just, I mean, not everyone does it, uh, but you, you, when you lean into that, 
it's a, it's a very powerful feeling. Um, you know, I, I, I've had probably a few rock bottom moments where I've, I've done that and come out the other side. And it's, it's such an amazing feeling, uh, when it happens and while you're going through it, it just sucks. Like you wouldn't believe, but once you get out of it, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so glad that this happened because I'm so much happier. And I, I could have been this way for years, but I just didn't see it. It's true. It is true. And it, and it really is as simple as a choice. Mm -hmm. Things feel so huge and so overwhelming because it's internal. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and people always ask, they're like, well, what was the first step? I'm like, the first step was literally creating this tiny little routine to show up for me every day. And when I was struggling to get out of bed and do anything for myself, it was make my bed and brush my teeth. That was my whole routine. You call it routine. (laughs) (laughs) That was my whole routine. But what that allowed me to do is now, well, that was the beginning of 2015. So, you know, here we are now. What, seven years later? Seven years later. Mm-hmm. And what I've been able to accomplish in seven short years it just blows people's mind because they meet me and they're like, well, you've been like this forever. And I'm like, oh, no, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Right? <laughs> I kind of get the same is, thing sometimes. <laughs> right? But that's, I think there's so much power in that because we can allow massive success to happen in very short periods of time, especially when we're leaning into doing the right work, which is yeah. truly being willing to show up for ourselves. And, you know, Stacey, you bring up such a good point about like the alpha person and the motivated person. Cause you know, like I said, I, I can't wait to get into some of my questions from your book. Uh, her book here, by the way, is, um, and it's for men or women, by the way, it is be a boss and fire that biatch, but that biatch can be a man too, by the way. And, oh my God, like there's just, we'll get into the, the, the book later, but my question is. I think sometimes being like, you call it an inner rebel and being that person that, you know, everybody who watches my podcast or sees me on social media knows I I question things and I'm, and I definitely speak truth to power and I'm an advocate and all these things that would get me in trouble growing up are, 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 it's counterintuitive, but they're the same things that propel us to being successful. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And when we have the opportunity to deeply connect with other people who are just like us, It is just amazing, amazing alignment because one, you don't feel like an alien or a freak anymore. There's nothing wrong with you. If you are like us, if you are a high performing person, you're not broken. There is nothing wrong with you. You're absolutely amazing. Who's been gifted with just a unique set of personality traits and qualities and skills that literally predispose you to massive amounts of success. (laughs) Yes. And massive amounts of sabotage. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because you're constantly questioning it going, is it enough or should I have done it this way? Or like, I have a very, very uh, amazing interview opportunity next week. And I go, oh my God, I'm going like back and forth in my mind about how to do it and this and overanalyzing. And I think you even call it the analysis paralysis. Oh, I'm totally mm-hmm. doing all of that right now. And, and so I think it's just, you, what your book did is it gave me, and I know most of this language anyway, but it, you broke it down. Like you have the symptoms, you have the action plan, um, and, and the solution. It's, it's such a well for, first off, uh, the book is just so well put together in terms of the outline and how you wanted to tell the story and the way that you bring your own personal story in it. But first off, I also want to get to some of these comments. We've got a lot of comments on the call even already. Stacy, Chris says, and he's also in the coaching space. You and me should definitely talk. What a powerful story. Um, Absolutely. Amy Tymeyer, she's also a, she has the Home of the Brave podcast. Uh, she says, uh, good questions. Uh, sometimes I don't know who LinkedIn user is, but LinkedIn user says, good conversation. Routine helps me every day. Love it. And then Chris says, uh, just let go of what fear, fear to lose. When you have nothing to fear, then you have nothing to lose. Uh, Teresa and Stacy, you then become fearless. And then he was just giving you um, some other props. So I thought that was nice, but let's get into a couple questions that I had from the book, because I definitely think there are some amazing points in the book. And I want to get a chance to ask a couple of those questions in chapter one, you write about external validation and something that I have always struggled with is there's a lot of self-help people who will say, you have to switch from having to get external validation to internal validation. And 
I want us to know what is the balance between the human need for affirmation, which we all need, and then filling your own cup? Like, how do you, how do you thread that needle? So the big thing is, oh, fundamentally, no, we stay in that place of need when we're searching for something external to give it to us, right? But when you pivot to where you're actually focusing on your self-fullness and filling your cup, then you're actually open to receive because you're no longer chasing it. Like there's a big difference, you know, it was really functioning in that emptiness, which really is that scarcity, right? You know, like I need this thing external to feel like enough. And yet no matter how much we get the hit, right? No matter how many dopamine rush of validation, yep. Of whatever it is, it's never enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because we're always running in that deficit, But when we flip the switch to building that relationship with ourselves, right, even this concept of fullness or fulfillment can only be granted by ourselves. Nothing external can provide that. And we're not open to receive, really receive when we're we're not providing that for ourselves. But don't you think that human beings are naturally social animals and need oh, some kind of feedback or, or, or I don't know what I want to say. I, I just, in my mind, I've always seen it as sort of this, this, this balance, like these two weights that have to be worked in harmony, the need to fill yourself versus, because you have to sometimes get something from other people or you'd be, oh, a, you do. You, you'd be a hermit and, and, and not have any human interaction whatsoever or any feedback. But I, I think a lot of times we struggle with, with that, those, you know, it being seesawed where we're just never relying on anybody for anything. I've got it all right. Or like you say, the other extreme where we're just depending on people too much. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you learn how to fill that your own cup? Like what are some of the things, the strategies that you would suggest for people to be able to work on that more and not need that hit on social media that we all, I think are craving uh, for an example, or, or whatever that hit might be, whether it be success or validation or a way to numb, how do you start to work on filling that? Well, I mean, you hit on a good point though, is, is we absolutely need community. And what's interesting is, I, that's not a skill we generally challenge ourselves to truly deeply experience because we're actually not open to receive all of the benefits of being in community because we're chasing the wrong stuff. So when the walls are up, we're actually really not in community for what it can provide us in terms of really being open to receive love and support and connection and then being in community to be open to um, experience the mirroring from the people around us, both on the positive things, you know, all the things that we end up admiring in others are just a reflection of what's inside of us. We wouldn't be able to see it otherwise, right? The greatness in others is just a reflection of our own. And then the stuff that irritates the hell out of us, right? Right. Those things that other people are, okay. And then being in that place of saying, what is this teaching me about myself? Right. What is this triggering inside? Yeah. Or, or am I like really big? Oh, cause I'm still working on that myself. So like anytime somebody irritates me, I'm like, okay, how am I, doing this and just not, right. Like it's always a growth experience, but that's not how most of us engage in community. It is engaging in community from that emptiness of like, I need something from you, or I'm going to give to you with strings attached, which is, I need the thank you, Mm -hmm. you know, again, to fill my cup, which is a very different way to engage in community, which most of us don't know how to do in a healthy way. So to be able to truly start the shift we have to take that step back and be willing to not just do this radical, all right, I'm done with anybody. So I'm just focusing on me right now. It's first year. So guess what? Right. Like I, I, you know, instead of doing that, you know, but saying, okay, I am prioritizing my well being and my self care and filling my cup for these people that I care about 
right. for these goals or this impact I desire to make and doing it in a place of balance. Now, granted, when I first made my changes, my changes, it was very all or nothing and it was not healthy. And outside of my trauma therapist, I had no guidance, no support. It was a total, total disaster, <laughs> but it worked, right? Yeah. Like, that's why I do what I do. Like, please don't do what I did. It was a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very all or nothing. <laughs> but it is it is our ability to build a relationship with ourselves that sets the capacity for what we can experience in these external relationships with others. And I found that for me, what really helped was I had to be in spaces where people were having these kinds of conversations. So uh, when I was going through one of my really, really dark moments, I joined, well, me and my friend uh, started a relationship uh, support group on Facebook. It was just this amazing opportunity to network with other people who were going through the same things that I was. Um, Chris says a couple other things. He says the act of giving is the very act of receiving. I would agree. And he also says, you are community is truly amazing. When we truly embrace our community, we all can become a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's, it's it's absolutely true. And like what I was saying with just having that community around me and around my girlfriend, and we were kind of leading the group together, it gave us something to talk about. We started learning about healthy relating habits, unhealthy relating habits. And by helping other people through their trauma and their grief, I felt like we were uh, kind of getting through our own grief at the same time. Like it was, it was definitely something that was really helpful in that regard. So I'm going to get into the uh, ego and identity. You talked about this in chapter one and you said, uh, how did you learn about that? Like I had come to that conclusion myself about like when you get to be about your six or seven, that is when you sort of become who you are and the ego takes over. Um, up until that point, I think you're just kind of being molded. And that's when I had all my, my, my troubles and my starts with bullying and other things happened when I was about seven. It was around first grade when, when a lot of those issues started coming to the forefront. And what I want to know is um, when those things happen really early on like that and this trauma happens early on, how, how did you start to unpack your issues as an adult and getting back into those places in your childhood and understanding uh, why things and and did that awareness number one how did you learn about that and then number two how did that awareness impact how where you how you went forward you know it, it's interesting it, it feels like the journey of of healing is you know I mean we always love to say you know like Shrek it's always peeling back the layers of the end mm-hmm. right and so it's just slowly going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and so you know, now I'm in this place of when something comes up, it's, it's, you know, it's new level, same devil, but it's the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the deepest inner worthiness wounds. And so everything, especially over this last couple of years has been basically raising my inner child, self-parenting my inner child and, you know, healing in that way, which has just been amazing. Um, You know, I think it was, just in reading books and going through learning about becoming a coach and, and all of that education along the way and, and all the things that I was exposed to. Cause again, I think a lot of that alpha personalities, we tend to just learn, 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 like, no, nope, right. like get to the root. Like, how can I optimize this, make this better? Honestly, I want results yesterday. So how can I hack this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 So it's just like learning and reading and all of that. And it was providing language around how I felt. And so that's why I kind of talk about it being like the puffer fish, you know, like I, it was just always having this blowing myself up in a way when I felt inferior mm-hmm. because that was such a deep wound of, you know, where it's my inner child feeling wrong, feeling bad, you know, like I'm always wearing the good girl mask. And yet if I did something wrong, which obviously, you know, as kids, we interpret as being bad, that, you know, so then we're automatically, you know, not enough or unworthy. 
And so anytime I would immediately, you know, feel that space, that trigger getting hit, then it's just puff up. Ego goes, Mm -hmm. what, 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 excuse me? Oh yeah. And it was just every which way to Sunday to not be wrong. I just would argue till I was blue in the face. And it was just, again, just all of that expression of all of those control issues, all of those control issues, you know, and even you know, that giving and receiving, you know, that, yeah, that giving is the ultimate receiving when we're open up to open to receive. But for myself, you know, kind of when I was talking about giving with strings attached, right? A lot of us give, but don't receive. Right. Right. The wall is up. We're just like, nope, 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 nope. Right. And so giving turns into a control issue. Exactly. Like I, I'll be honest, like when people give, give, give to me and they don't let me give back, it's a, it's a red flag. Cause then I'm like, I, I just don't like it. I don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, because I, I always think like, well, now then they, they don't see that I'm valuable. I think that's what it is too. Um, obviously they, they want to be valuable to me, but then they don't see that anything that I'm offering is of value to them. And so you're right. It, it sets up this, this kind of a control thing that I, I, I don't like either. I have, I have control issues too, Stacy. And so <laughs> I'm always recovering from my control yes, issues. It's yes. getting better all the time. <laughs> yes. And I think that's also a really good point too, is that, um, and your book talks about this and, and we're constantly a, a work in progress. I, I don't think that like you, you wake up one morning and go, Oh, I'm healed. I don't have any issues anymore. I'm perfect. I've, I've, gotten over my trauma and now life is awesome. I think it's like you learn these tools. And I think what you said in in your video that I was watching today is that the space now between, uh, when you recognize that you're in one of these, you know, a shame spiral or whatever is, is this, it's a smaller period of time now that you're grieving or that you're going through that issue, but it doesn't necessarily make the issue go away. It just means that now you, you have language to describe it right and and you're able to tools just to use it tools to, to use, use to tools get to back on through. track yeah and yes get, that's what you said in the video today yeah, yeah the sabotage cycle it's we just shorten the sabotage cycle you know it still happens we're still going to have those things that hit a trigger mm-hmm. especially as we're doing this work to become more and more and more emotionally available well just a few weeks ago it was kind of a perfect storm of here i am doing all this work to be more emotionally available as a leader Mm-hmm. Um, and for my marriage, for myself, and it was a little too far the other direction. I was overly emotionally available. <laughs> like, okay. Right. All right. Just sitting with it, non judgment. Yes, but yes. Like, this is a little too much. It, it is is absolutely true. It is is constantly this this I think work in progress. And, and 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 you know even I to this day I will find like I said I overanalyze everything and I think everything to the nth degree. And sometimes I've just got to take a step back. But because like you said I I have some of the tools now I I can work through some of those issues. Um, but I do want to ask you a few other just overall questions. Um, how did you fix your money psychology on what you were worth in your coaching practice? <laughs> oh, yes. I get that all the time. So many of my clients are always in that pivot from whatever their entrepreneurship is to stepping into being like a coach, a consultant, a mentor, where, or, you know, where now they're, it's not for a service with a tangible product. The product is them and their right. wisdom. Yeah. Right. It's, like, and, it's like, am I really worth that? Am, am I, can, you know, can, can I charge for like just my expertise? I mean, it just feels mm-hmm. so weird. Yeah. It's, it's different because it's not tangible. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to this, you know, the, this, um, the emotion and the energy behind it, that it just hits all of our deepest wounds around scarcity and abundance and value and enoughness and worthiness and all of that stuff. And what's interesting is one, we've got it. There's the practical sense of, okay, okay. Look at all of your lifetime of experience, creating a a, a quantification for what all of the wisdom you're bringing to the table right now and, and the value right? From all the education, you can have dollars to the education, right? All of the years and years and years of leadership experience of of Mm -hmm. work you've done for those who like to specialize in mindset or confidence or performance. Mm 
we have all of that that we're bringing to the table. It's not like it's just you in this moment only owning the fact that you're just now a coach. Maybe, oh, I've only been doing it for a couple of months, so I can't charge that. No, 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 no. That's just a new title. Mm-hmm. You're bringing an entire lifetime of wisdom, knowledge, skills, and experience. You've right. lived it. And the value that you've earned the right, you've earned the ris- the wisdom to share. That's powerful. And when, and when we're in that space, right? Like that's that's what we're bringing. You know, I see that a lot too when that's the new business. I'm like, wait, you're bringing all these years of, of business, all these years of leadership. The fact that, you know, you've been married or you've raised kids or mm-hmm. you, you know, sold a business or you've launched this or you've, you know, whatever awards, an amazing thing. Like it's, it's a lifetime. It's not just in this moment, in this one tiny little lane. Right. Right. Wow. No, you're absolutely correct. I got a couple other people. Um, this is uh, Brian. Uh, he's my husband's best friend and my friend too. He oh. just says, I think you have a lot to offer and I value your friendship. That's me. me. Yes. Because you're like, they don't <laughs> respect me back. <laughs> and then uh, value is the next currency of humanity, Teresa. So I, I want to get into a couple other questions from the book. Um, so and these are just kind of the general questions. Um, when you first started your business, um, cause I think a lot of people as they're going into entrepreneurship, they want to do it, but you know, like for me, I definitely have money psychology issues. Hence, you know, I, I love the Navy, but of, of course I stuck around for a lot of years and kept doing it because I wanted to never have to depend on a paycheck again. And mm-hmm. I'm putting myself and my husband in a position so that we can do that. But part of that is because I think I have some worthiness issues about never, going into getting paid again. I I mean, I'll be the first to admit that. And so I want to know when you started your business and you were an entrepreneur, how did you work out those months of, of, of not earning an income and building to that? Like, what was that journey like? Well, I think the the first thing is, is making sure. And and again, this is that learning from my wisdom and all the mistakes that I made. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was going into business and doing like a lot of people do, and they focus on the business instead of themselves mm-hmm. right out of the gates. So they're like, I have this idea, I'm going to do all this. And whether people have the, the funds to invest in support out of the gates or not, I find everyone focuses on investing in marketing, sales, strategy, all the things to generate the money. But if we're not in that space, again, of being open to receive it, mm-hmm. we're going to have the feast and famine. And feast and famine is not a guarantee if you start by working on yourself first. Mm-hmm. Doing the inner work. If you build that relationship with you, you're going to be okay with receiving money and charging your, your worth and value. Right. Feast and famine. Again, it's just those stories that we tell ourselves that if I'm living my purpose and truly doing what I love, which really places us in this energy of effortless success, Mm -hmm. we're now going against those stories that say success must be hard, that I must suffer, struggle or sacrifice in order to be successful. Right. I've got to prove my worth or deserveability. Yeah. To earn the to earn the money. And mm-hmm. so when we're truly in alignment and living our purpose in that way, which when you're at being a mentor, a coach or consultant, generally that's kind of that highest pinnacle in many ways of mm-hmm. service, of highest service. And so it goes against those, that deep programming. Mm-hmm. And so if we eliminate the programming and, and change the story and change the program, then when you actually go into really launching your business ready to go, you're like, all right, cool. Here we go. Right. We don't have to buy into that. And I think that you mentioned it earlier too, is that sometimes you have to look at your, your metrics differently. Like Mm -hmm. it's not how much income you've generated year one. It might just be like you were saying in that video today, how many people who came up to you and said that something that you said impacted them or, someone who read your book or, or you have, there's other ways that you measure your impact versus measuring your numbers. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a big pivot. And that's just one of those hacks to circumvent the money blocks. Mm hmm. Right. right. So when no, you're like when you're that. when you're scaling to to be, and doing big jumps as mm -hmm. high performers like to do, <laughs> uh, you know, whether you're going from six figures to multi six figures sure. and, and doing big jumps to seven to multi seven. Right. If we can hack around the block. Why yeah. not? You right. know, and it, it's not to say I'm not still working on it. I'm always working on it. Right. It's just for me, that hits me right in the feels, as I was saying, right? Because I am fully open to receive that feedback. Right. I may put up a block or a story on occasion that says, oh, whoa, that's a lot of money, right? Like we can have a thing, we can have a moment and really slow that down. But the second somebody is like, I gave your book to my daughter, you know, I, I have all of my staff listening to your podcast. You know, thank you. You said this thing and I am forever changed. You know, right. my boundaries is like, yeah. you know, that's the stuff that I'm like, yes, yes. That's, that's why you're doing it. That's why you're that's there. Why I'm doing it. And, 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 and I think that that's too, can, can overcome some of it's, it's some of the reasons why I'm, I, I live, live my husband and I both, we live so, uh, I would say frugally is because we want to have, I could say cheaply, but it's because we want to have this ability to, to make impacts in the places where we want to make the most impact. He, his impact is fixing things, helping his buddies fix things, doing things around the house that make, that improve our lives. And then mine is obviously in, in this healing, helping advocacy space. And as you know, advocacy is a, it is a, uh, it is not a, it is not for the faint of heart. It is a years and years of, of battling and grinding it out, whether that be on the, on the federal level, state level, city level, whether it be animals, whether it be the military, what have you, um, advocacy is not a, not a paid gig most of the time. And even if it is, it's a very low paying gig, but it's a very fulfilling gig. And, and, and I think that's, we impact driven leaders. I think that's what we want. So, uh, I appreciate your advice on that. Um, my next Yes, yes, definitely. My next question is, you mentioned that you and your husband both had a lot of trauma going into your relationship. How did two dysfunctional people work on issues together? Did you both do individual and couples counseling and then the work that goes in it? Um, I think because in my case, my husband is a little bit, I think, on the lower trauma scale. And so I think he kind of lifts me up, if that makes sense. Oh, and so awesome. it, uh, I know, <laughs> I believe me, I'm any, I mean, he's not perfect either. But in, in, in terms of just having issues, I would say that I'm probably the more of the issue person. Uh, but if two people have had to work through those things together, uh, what's that journey like? Oh, it's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep it real, peeps. I keep yeah. it real. No, no, um, that's no, fair. Really. It is, it is, there's always a certain point. I mean, we were very, very codependent. I mean, I when, when you think about, you know, people coming from dysfunction and both of us lacking boundaries. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we found each other and it was a, a, a codependent enablement that functioned well and misery loves company. So we enjoyed a lot of the same unhealthy methods of coping together. And that was a big foundation for our relationship for a really long time. You know, if you've got two people with walls who are not great at communicating, we're definitely not going to challenge each other. No, <laughs> to talk more. No, <laughs> no. Right? Like, um, you know, there was just a lot to that status quo. And then when one person's like, we're jumping ship and doing big, big change, you know, and the other person is not on board because you know they're kind of good with the status quo. The challenge is that I was now forcing him to change right. because I was showing up differently. I'm not telling him what to do. Although I think when a lot of us start making changes, we get a little preachy on our soapboxes. Oh, we do. Are for the course. <laughs> we think we everybody else it. around us needs to change too. Yes. I did it too. Hence why I said that first year. Yeah. Not pretty. Not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> not pretty. I did not have help. Uh, I did not, yeah. I found my first mentor at the end of that first year. Thank you. Um, so, you know, but it, you start making changes and it, if you, you know, you function on enablement and codependency and now you're putting up boundaries, right? Like that is really disruptive 
And not all relationships can survive that. Right. It's, you know, and things do get worse before they get better. I tell everyone, you know, I'm like, whether we're talking about leading our team and we're putting in place core values and shifting our corporate culture and we're going to begin holding to boundaries and having consequences, well, we're going to lose some people along the way. But that's and okay. That's the same, and it's okay. Right. Yeah. And then it's the same thing with those um, key relationships in our lives. Those are going to ebb and flow like that. And not all marriages can survive. I'm grateful ours yeah. did. You know, we've been together for 20 years now. Wow. And he has now hired a coach and he's doing his work. That's awesome. And what's really great is, you know, it's, it's, we each individually have to do our work. Because the marriage is just a reflection of the two people showing up for it. Yep. That's Absolutely. it. Oh, yeah. We don't need to work on the marriage. We got to work on the people in the marriage. Right. And, and I think then, that. Oh, go ahead. Well, and, and then as much as we're building those relationships internally with ourselves, then learning new skills around engaging in a relationship with another person. So we're working on new levels of of communication and things like that, especially now that I hired him to be my, you know, director of operations in my new company. <laughs> We're working together. Wow. Soon now, so like, you know. That's remarkable, Stacy. And that's really going to put you guys. I mean, even just me and my husband having to make our YouTube videos together, it's like the ultimate teamwork or the ultimate fight. Uh, you know, him just getting irritated with the crap out of me as I'm trying to edit and him knowing what to do. But, um, you know, I love this. I have codependency with chocolate. <laughs> yes, that, that's, Did you that, see that, Brian. Com that comment. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure I was going to put it on the screen, but I yes, that's it. Brian, uh, my, my husband's best friend who, who, who diligently watches all my podcasts, by the way. So Fantastic. I'm very grateful for him. Um, I have a couple. My friend, uh, Dr. Corinne uh, Devin, is another one on YouTube, and she just diligently watches all my podcasts. So I really appreciate that. Very, very grateful for that. Um, my dad's watching too. He oh, really? You put some oh, comments on for YouTube. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I think it's great. I, I, I'm so grateful for all the people and who, who tune in and, and watch these shows, because I think that I learn just as much as I'm talking to guests as I hope that the listeners uh, learn as well. And my next question is going to be about forgiveness. I've been talking about this issue with a couple of my girlfriends, even after I read it in your book. And I, and my question is, can you be at peace with someone as they are versus forgiving? Because I don't know if I forgive certain people in my life. I think that I am at peace with who they are. I don't expect them to change and I don't obsess over, or the resentment, the resentment's gone and I don't obsess over the relationship, but do I forgive them in my mind? I don't, I don't really think I do. And is that okay? You know, it, I think it's just reflective of where everyone's at in their healing journey. Mm -hmm. you know, we're all, we all, it's, it's a multi-step, multi-phase process, you yeah. know, and there's a certain point where you won't give a F anymore. You really won't. Yeah. You yeah. Well, it'll, it'll, and there's just no attachment to anything. To anything when, like that. When, yeah. When you, when we get to a place and, you know, and I, and I talk about it in the release your baggage chapter mm -hmm. where we truly are able to release the intense emotion, disconnect the trigger and learn the lessons. Those lessons are what have the value. And then when we separate that emotional attachment to all of a sudden, it's like, wait, these are two completely different things. But I think they you can do that without forgiving. Forgive yeah, I don't think you have. I, maybe maybe I'm just hung up on the word forgiveness. And, 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 and maybe I'm thinking that forgiveness means you're almost like absolving them of that wrongdoing. No, 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 no. Yeah. And I, I, I maybe maybe for you, because again, language means different things to everybody. Mm -hmm. Maybe for you, it's just about release. Like yeah. truly mm -hmm. getting to the place of complete and utter release that that's what i think it is for me because it's um, for, forgive I, I forgive someone who has remorse but i don't know if i forgive people who have rem, who don't who don't feel any remorse and so I, I think that that's sort of the difference is that maybe i release it and i don't yeah, have any attachment to it anymore but i don't necessarily absolve or 
you know. Yeah, I don't, I agree with you. I don't feel like I, it's absolving anyone. I, I think it's also being able to step into the place of non-judgment and just observe that people are working with the toolkits that they have. Right. People are working, you know, functioning from the place of their own wounds and traumas and, and damage and, you know, just all their stuff. And, and again, it's not a matter of saying it's okay or that it was right or whatever, that what you did. It's mm-hmm. just like, whatever. Right. You know, but being in such a place of pure and utter gratitude for our journeys because we would not be here doing what we're doing, impacting how we impact and being who we're being without any of that. I agree. I am so insanely grateful for every ounce of my story, every bit of it, all yeah. the wounds, all the scars, the physical, the non-physical, all the things, because I would not be here having the capacity to share my story in the way that I do have this power of authenticity and vulnerability, influence, <laughs> safety, stability, all the things, the boundaries, right? Had <laughs> any bit of that not happened exactly how it needed to play out. And I feel like looking at my story in a place of such gratitude overshadows anything else. And so ultimately that is in that realm of forgiveness, but I don't care about forgiving anyone else. Mm-hmm. it's can we be in the place of forgiving ourselves right and that's, that's exactly what Chris just said too yeah. you know when we forgive you forgive others yeah. you forgive yourself mm-hmm. i never but thought really, about it like that really you know? being able to forgive ourselves yeah wow that's, that's powerful oh my god such good stuff all right we're going to transition to talking about your influential seminar next month in tampa tell tell <gasps> the uh, audience a little bit about that Oh my goodness. So, you know, we have really positioned ourselves. So within our influential ecosystem, you know, the root of influence is in flow and truly being the highest level influential leader and impactor that you're called to be is about starts with you. And it's about scaling who we are being as leaders. And so over the two and two to two and a half days, depending on the, the, the tickets that you get to attend. This is a powerful experiential workshop and event. So this isn't just come get that fire hydrant of information, put it in a notebook that it gets lost somewhere and nothing gets implemented. The person you arrive as is very different who than who will be leaving this event because we have, including myself, we have a dozen powerful um, practitioners and speakers coming together to create this powerful experience to help us step into being the person who allows those big 2022 goals to happen. That's so, awesome. Yeah, Great that's way to kick off the year. Right? So that's the big thing. Plus, I'll feed you. You got breakfast and lunch included for the couple of days. You get to meet some amazing, powerful, like-minded people who are just like us, right? The the alpha leaders, the high sensitivity, the high sensation seeking, you know, making big things happen. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I wish I could come, but unfortunately I've been off with shoulder surgery this past couple months, but I will link to it, uh, at the end of in the in the show notes Stacy this has been such a pleasure I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to ask you about that I didn't but is there anything that I should have asked you about or anything else you want to put out to our listeners you know for me it, it's funny because I mean we're talking a lot about the book and it yes it is you know be a boss and fire that bitch but it's really about shifting the relationship with the inner critic because I mean that's the subtitle right is is Mm-hmm. Quiet your inner critic and finally believe you're good enough. Yes. And ultimately, by the end of it, it's not about firing that voice. It's about shifting the relationship with it to understand the messenger, right? Yep. And a lot of us, like we were saying, that high ability to create massive success, but mm-hmm. then equally the high levels of sabotage and the inner critic and all of the different things that kind of come up with that. And the more we're able to shift the relationship with all of those things, the faster we hit that exponential growth curve 
in mm -hmm. our success and in our impact, but especially in our leadership. And that's why I say how we scale who we are being, because now we're getting to the place of elevating leaders around us. Wow. Because that's what it's all about. The more we elevate these leaders and, and we know that ripple effect is happening. That's why I love working with leaders because I know every single person that I have the opportunity to touch or interact with or work with is going to in turn show up better right. for the impact they're called to make in the world. I have actually a two other questions that I thought of as you were speaking. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody who has an idea for a book and they don't know how to get started. They've never written a book before. What, what would you, what would, where would you point them uh, as a place to begin? Hire a writing coach. Best thing, <laughs> best thing you can do ever is hire a writing coach. Uh, I've heard just that like before. We were, just like we were talking about the stories that say, you know, um, starting out as an entrepreneur, of course, you're going to have feast or famine, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with writing a book that um, it doesn't have to take forever. My book was done in 90 days because I hired a writing coach who had a 90 day program, get it done, right? Mm -hmm. And had I not been sitting in the experience of the stories and sort of the sabotage around that, I probably would have had it done in about a month. But sitting in it, marinating in it, but again, having the support to work through it, because I'm not a writer, I wasn't a writer, but everything has a psychology to it. I chose the layout I did to create the safety, because what am I doing? We're creating safety for us to be in vulnerability and so in your work. You gave yourself a boundary and said, I'm going to do this in 90 days. Is that what yeah. I just heard? So well, three yes. months, and then, you wrote yep, this whole book. 90 days, yes. This is, folks, this is like a pretty thick book. You wrote this in 90 days, 90 three days. months. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. But you had a, a coach and I assume you're working with this person like almost every day or every couple days or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. We had a session twice a month in a, gr a group session. It wasn't even like a private thing, but it was just somebody having the structure. Yeah. It's the accountability. It's the structure. It's the framework. I, it was the commitment I made to myself that that was what was going to happen. But it was having somebody say, hey, let's start here. So we don't get into analysis paralysis, super simple, right? right? Like brain dump your ideas, <laughs> organize them into chapters. Yes, yes. How do you want to lay out the book? I mean, pretty much the whole thing was outlined within the first two weeks. Then the rest of the time was just filling it in. So. Well, the book is incredibly well laid out. I think we have a question. I think this might be from your mom, uh, Gil Rasky. Is that a race? Oh, race that's race? my dad. Your dad, sorry. <laughs> okay. Your dad wants to know, do, do people find solace in your application of not or solace in your application of knowledge? Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> people tell me all the time how they're like, wow, you're so stoic. And you're so chill. <laughs> you're so calming. People just like being in my energy. But yes, when I drop the truth bombs, there's some particular way that I manage to say it combined right. with the energy and the emotion behind it, that it lands really well for people because they're like, I never thought of it that way. Right. Or, right, we hear the same thing 25 different times, but it takes the right person to mind right. it in the right way. There you go. I, apparently, I, I am the right flavor for some people. For some people. <laughs> well, Jason Cooper talked about you so highly, had, had you on his podcast, and then I watched that podcast, and I was like, I got to talk to Stacy after I watched <laughs> that. So uh, um, count me in as, as one of those uh, people who's where your message uh, truly, truly resonated. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to do a quick closing with me on a solo screen and then I'll meet you backstage if you just want to hang out for just a second. But good. I want to thank all of you uh, for joining me tonight. Uh, thank you for watching, whether it be from YouTube, Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, I will have another guest on Wednesday. Uh, it is Chase Hughes. He is one of the hosts from the behavior panel. He is a body language expert and, oh, happens to be a sailor I served in the Navy with on USS Russell, my first ship as a surface warfare officer. So super excited to have him on the show. I'll be putting that promo out tomorrow. And with that, I hope you guys have an amazing evening. Thank you all for watching and have a great night. Bye-bye now.